grim. Who is that? Of whom does he speak? He speaks of the devil. And our text today, as we are preaching through the book of 1 John, this single text, verse 8, John, 1 John 3, verse 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So far the reading of God's Word. A number of years ago when I lived in Philadelphia as a pastor, a woman in our church, a woman who was a recent convert, had been going through a very difficult time. She had moved from Center City, Philadelphia, out to where we were on the edge of the city. And she wanted to divorce her husband, but she did not know if there were grounds, biblical grounds for the divorce. And so she came to me and she said, Pastor, this is what I think I should do. I've been in an abusive relationship. There's been adultery, but I, I want to know if I can proceed or not in biblical grounds. And I said, well, you have to hear both sides of a story. You can't just hear one side of a story. I need to talk to your husband who did not live out in the outskirts. And so I said, I'll get one of our deacons or one of our elders and we'll go down and we'll meet him. We'll hear what he has to say and hear what you have to say and we'll figure this out. And she said, oh, you don't want to go down there. He is a member of a voodoo cult, and his mother is a voodoo priestess, and she is very wicked. And I look at you, John Yenchko, and I don't think you could, should go down there. And I said, why not? What? She serves the prince of darkness? The prince of darkness grim? Luther said, we tremble not for him. Because the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. And so I went and I got my good friend Ron Taylor, who has since deceased. I said, Ron, come with me on a little field trip. We're going down into the badlands of Hunting Park, Philadelphia. Come with me. Got him in the car. And on the way down, I explained the mission to him. He said, whoa. And we sang hymns together and we, we worked things out and it did become clear that this was a very evil situation and that this woman did have grounds. But the point before you is, yes, the prince of darkness does exist, but we tremble not for him. C.S. Lewis's great quote in the beginning of the Screwtape Letters, right in the preface of it, he says this, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The devils themselves are equally pleased by both errors, and they hail and greet a materialist, the unbeliever, or a magician the obsessive person with the occult, with the same delight. Some of you here may disbelieve. You say, I'm a modern person. You may disbelieve in the spiritual forces of darkness and indeed of the devil himself. 
Jesus Christ said there is a devil, and he said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Our Savior affirmed the existence of a real devil. Others may feel themselves obsessively uh, seeing demons in every toaster that burns the toast. Well, that, that sort of obsession is unhealthy and unwarranted. We tremble not for him. Today's text tells us that Jesus Christ had a mission, and His mission was to destroy the devil's work. And so this is really important. In your arsenal of life, in the arrows you have, you need to hear this and pay good attention today and understand that you do not need to tremble before the devil, but you need to be on guard and be alert, as Peter tells us. Because point number one, the devil has been against us from the beginning, it says, from the beginning. And this is some sort of allusion, allusion to Satan's uh, mission and his, his origin, from the origin. Where does he come from? And this is interesting because as you study through the Bible, the Bible nowhere seeks to prove the existence of the devil. He is always assumed as being real in the Bible. Um, and so, uh, one commentator said it's important to remember three things about the devil. That's not really the important part of our text, but you need to know these things. Number one, the devil is a created being. Number two, the devil is a corrupted being. And number three, the devil is a condemned being. You need to remember this about Satan. And he's, he is a subordinate being. He's created. He's not equal to God. In some religions, you, they talk about the yin and the yang. You know, there's sort of equal light forces and dark forces. That is not biblical. That is unbiblical. The forces of darkness, though they exist, they are subordinate to the Almighty God. And so we renounce any kind of yin and yang and as you know, there's the light side of the force and the dark side of the force, and they're sort of equally ultimate. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, the church for centuries has, has, has looked into especially certain Old Testament texts, certain obscure prophecies that seem to speak about the, the devil, both in being created and having fallen from heaven. Because Jesus said in Luke, um, He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven in Luke 10, 18. And so some people have gone back to Ezekiel 28 and back to Isaiah 14. And I, I don't know, these are oracles or prophecies of doom against ancient kings, the, the king of Assyria and of the king of Tyre. And yet, and yet, at another level, could it be that they are reminiscent of the creation and the corruption of the devil himself? Maybe these texts, the church has certainly thought that they informed us somewhat of what happened. So, for example, in Ezekiel 28, 14, you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until the wickedness was found in you. And so there was a corruption, and there was certainly a corruption of the king of Assyria, but I believe this, this telescopes back to the morning star to Satan himself. And he was corrupted. What was that corruption of the devil? Isaiah 14, 
down in verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn, you who once laid low the nations. And here's his corruption. Verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the amount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Zaphon. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That was the devil's pride. That was Lucifer, the morning star's pride. Verse 15, but you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. And could that be what Jesus referenced when he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The devil is a created being, not equally ultimate with the Father. He is a corrupted being, as we know, and the devil is a condemned being. And his condemnation was announced right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3, 15, following the sin of Adam and Eve at, his, at the devil's temptation, God said, there will be warfare between the woman's seed and you, and you will bruise his heel, but he shall crush your head, Satan. And that condemnation then will be consummated. And Revelation 20 tells us when he will ultimately be thrown in the lake of fire. And that victory, that battle, then uh, was waged by Jesus Christ. The reason the Son of God appeared, we are told in 1 John 3, verse 8, was to destroy the work of the devil. Point number two, the devil is on the attack and wants us to sin. You see this in your outline, and there's a few things that you need to follow along here. Because the context for our passage today in 1 John chapter 3 is one where this wonderful pastor, his name also is John, this wonderful pastor, the Apostle John, really loves his flock and he writes to them so that they won't sin. The issue is this propensity in the flesh to sin. Why? Because sin is the agenda of the devil. Sin is the agenda of the devil, right? And righteousness is the agenda of Jesus Christ. And therefore, righteousness is the agenda of the people of Jesus Christ. And so Satan wants us to sin. Sometimes he wants us to sin in spectacular ways. And some of us have done that. Spectacular, really terrible, awful, public sins. And sometimes they are the subtle, secret, respectable sins, a word of gossip, an entertainment of lust, a little inebriation here and there, easy sins that don't matter, do they? C.S. Lewis says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. I like that. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings and without milestones and without signposts. So whether it's spectacular sin or it's that subtle, easy sin, that's the, sin, that's the agenda of Satan. 
And this is why in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, we read, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. And the point of the text is apparently the devil delights in rebellion and sin against God. And so, how does he operate? He attacks. He attacks three things. He attacks your mind, he attacks your morals, and he attacks your will ultimately to seek to enslave you. First, your mind. He is a liar. And the Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John. In John 8, 44, it says that the devil does not hold to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And Jesus, I love, Jesus is such a good communicator. He says, and when he lies, he speaks his native language. It's just natural. It's the natural language of the devil to lie. He is a liar and the father of lies. There is no truth in him. What kind of lies? I know I shouldn't get drunk, but everybody does it. I know what the Bible says about stealing, but no one will know. I know what the Bible says about fornication, but for heaven's sakes, it's just sex. I know the Bible teaches that we are created beings, but look, we're, we're modern people and science has told us where we come from. I know I hit him, but he started it. It's not gossip. <laughs> I was just sharing a little information. Where do these rationalizations come from? The Bible tells us they come from the father of lies, and we believe these lies. He wants to attack your mind and distort God's truth. And then he attacks you morally. Why? Because he's a tempter. The, de the, the devil is a deceiver. He is also a tempter. And nowhere do we see that more explicitly than in Matthew 4. And remember after Jesus is baptized, he goes into the wilderness, and there the devil tempts Jesus. Because the devil wants us to love the things that we ought to hate. And he wants us to hate the things we ought to love. And he assaults the Son of God by tempting Him the way He brings temptation to us. If you're a Christian, as Martin taught us last week, you want to love God, and you've been attempt adopted into the family of God. You've been made new. You want to love God and walk in His ways. Yeah, you really do want to. And Satan comes along and suggests that he's not really a very good father, He's quite a scoundrel who just never lets you have any fun at all. And he wants to seduce you with a perverse love of sin. How does he do that? He does it by making sin attractive. He makes sin alluring. And he incites, like he did Jesus, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes 
and the pride of life, those categories. We studied those actually a few weeks ago, didn't we? Together, if you were here, we actually saw those three categories, which were, which were uh, the devil used to assault Jesus in the wilderness. So John tells us that's what he does. And maybe you've been going through the day and you've been loving your wife and esteeming her and holding her in high regard, and then suddenly there is this sexual lust incited inside of you. Where did this come from? You've been content. You've been satisfied in your life. The Lord has given you a little, or maybe He's given you much, but, you know, you've been, you've been content as you walk through life, and all of a sudden, the magazine page opens to the BMW advertisement. And the lust of the eyes for the glitter and gold of the world is incited inside of you. And you have been walking in humility, and then somebody says, you know, you really don't get the credit you deserve. People just don't recognize you for the obvious skill set that you have. You really need to learn how to stand up for number one, and you should share. You should boast a little bit in in yourself, and so you do, and it feels so good to blow your own horn and to toot your own trumpet, and the pride just rises up, and you feel so superior to those pathetic other people around you. The boastful pride of life. Where do these things come? You see, the devil is a tempter. He's a liar. He's a tempter. And then what he wants is for those wicked attitudes and behaviors to become habits, habits. It wasn't a habit the first time you did it, but it was so nice you did it again, and then you thought it again, and then you thought it again, and pretty soon it became your natural method of operation. And 2 Timothy 2.26, Paul talks about helping Christian people come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do His will. Another translation calls it, who are ensnared. They're caught. Their leg is caught, ensnared, or they're in the net. Whoa. Because the devil knows that sin is addictive. It is addictive. It's habit-forming. I don't care what it is. Boasting, that first time it felt good, the second time it felt good, and pretty soon Boasting became the way you communicated to other people. Lying, you just told a little lie at first, but it, you told another one and it built, and suddenly you find that you have to slice the, the story up in such a way that it suits you well, and, and you, you become a habitual liar. You find that the first drink went down easily, and then money, alcohol, drugs, self-righteousness, laziness, habit-forming, habit-forming. And the tongue, the tongue. You know, it's so, I, 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 I make fun of the Exorcist movies. You know, they're trying to show these sort of spectacular, spectacular, gruesome uh, in, encounters with the devil, you know, who's enslaved someone. But the book of James, the book of James says, you want to see demon possession? You watch people's use of the tongue. Because he says the tongue is set on fire by hell. Isn't that interesting? 
You know, you get together. Maybe you have a friend. They're struggling in their marriage, and the wife is arguing at the husband, and the husband is furious with the wife, and the wife just sees the evil in her husband, and the husband says, oh, yeah, and he sees the evil in his wife, and you listen to them talk to each other back and forth, and, and she is persuaded that he is now just walking in the devil's way, but he is persuaded that she is walking in the devil's way, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, and as the pastor, I stand back, and what do you see? but a couple ensnared. They are ensnared. Their tongues have been set on fire by hell. Do you get this? The devil lies. The devil tempts. The devil ensnares. That's point number two. Now we really come to the force of our text. Because we are told that our Savior came to destroy the devil's work. Now, we have the best Sunday school on Long Island, and our kids have learned. You ask the kids, why did Jesus come into the world? And they will tell you from kindergarten through sixth grade, they will say, Jesus Christ came into the world to save us from our sins because there are many, many Bible texts that teach that. Thank you, Sunday school teachers. Thank you, parents, for teaching that. But there are other explanations of the mission of Jesus Christ. And twice in the New Testament, we are explicitly told that Jesus Christ came to destroy the work of the devil. In Hebrews 2, 14, it says, Jesus Christ shared in our humanity so that by His death He might destroy Him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And then in our text this morning, it says, the reason Jesus appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And so from, the, from His very birth, you see that this warfare, Jesus came in a holy war. At His birth, the, the angels appeared, right? Christmas time, la, happy, um, uh, glory to God in, excel, in excelsis Deo, Right? little children in angel costumes. We are told they were a legion of angels. What is that? That is an army of angels. We're coming to announce their champion has come into the world, and soon after Jesus was born, what happens? Herod, King Herod, is incited with paranoia, and Herod is threatened by the one born, the king of the Jews, and so he sends out his soldiers to slaughter the innocent young boy children, and there is weeping heard throughout the land. And soon after Jesus is anointed at his baptism, there as the Holy Spirit is poured out over Jesus, and the voice says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, immediately, as I said, out into the desert He goes, and the assault on Jesus Christ comes from all the forces of hell, the lust of the flesh, starving to death, the lust of the eyes, the Wall Street, uh, New York, Manhattan skyline can all be His, the pride of life. If you are the Son of God, go ahead. I dare you, I dare you, throw yourself down off. Oh, come on, prove to me that you're somebody, Jesus. And he stands. The reason he came was for that final battle on Calvary, 
And there on Calvary, Jesus was first in the Garden of Gethsemane, exposed to the wrath of God in the cup he must drink. And then he is abandoned, he is betrayed, he is scourged, he is spit on, he is humiliated, he is beaten, he is and crowned with thorns pressed onto his head, and he is brutally murdered on a terrible cross. And the demons shriek with delight. And the devil is sure he has won the victory. But as it says in your reflection in the bulletin this week, on the cross, Jesus did not say, I am finished. What did he say? It is finished. And somehow Satan did not know that Jesus Christ has just put him out of business. His mission was to destroy the devil. You know, my mom grew up in West Tennessee where there there actually there were all these stills, you know, people would make moonshine and that moonshine was just a horrible horrible stuff. And and the community it really did a lot of damage in the community and so the revenueers would come in. Anybody ever hear of the revenueers? the treasury department, they would come in, they would find these stills, and they would put these men out of business, and they would destroy their operation. And that's what these two Greek words in Hebrews 2.14 and in and 1 John 3.8, the one means to put out of operation in the book of Hebrews, put them out of business, and then ours means in our text to disintegrate or to disassemble his operation. And so Jesus Christ fundamentally destroyed the work of the devil on the cross, and the victory was assured with His resurrection. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus defeated the devil at the cross? We are told that He did. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, there continues still a mop-up operation. How do we understand this already but not yet tension in between the two comings of Christ? I'll tell you. Here's how you understand it. In World War II, when your parents and your fathers and grandfathers fought World War II, finally the Allies invaded Normandy. They broke into France, and they essentially broke the back of the axis of the, of the German regime with that D-Day operation. And, and everyone around the world knew that the war was won on D-Day. Now, there was mop-up operation, but from that point on, they were in retreat. They were just making trouble. They were just making it as hard as they could. And so the allies came and put out, put out, put out the wicked armies of the Third Reich. It's already, not yet. Now we are in the mop-up operation. And so, uh, Jesus, uh, so the devil wants us to sin. Now, the overthrow of the devil is continued by the church of God who puts off sin and who puts on righteousness. You see, this mop-up operation continues to be done by you and you and you. According to to Romans um, 16, verse 20, where Paul writes, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Isn't that interesting? So Christ destroyed 
He put out the devil out of business. And yet he says, still, church of Jesus Christ, you participate in putting him out of business. He goes, gets under your feet. James 4, verse 7, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Just like the retreating German armies ran away from the advancing allies as they marched through Europe. And now we're at the heart of our passage. You needed to know all of this to understand this. It's obvious. Whoever abides in Christ, whoever lives as this adopted son or daughter of God, whoever's been justified in Christ, whoever loves the Lord does not continue the practice of sin. Why? Because that's the devil's way. That's, that's what the devils want. That's his agenda. And so renouncing sin is the great proof of your adoption, of, of your alignment, of your being in Jesus Christ. And John pleads with us, saying, you can't act like the devil and at the same time be a disciple of Jesus. And he pleads with you, and I plead with you, do not love what Jesus Christ came to destroy. At our men's group on Tuesday night, we were talking about self-control. And, and um, one of the guys said, before you were a Christian, you had a conscience, but it was a seared conscience. He was saying, you, know, you had some sense of right and wrong, but unfortunately, it was pretty skewed uh, for your own autonomy, and you wanted your own way. But now, he says, you have the Spirit of God. Now, you have the Word of God. Now, you actually care about the glory of God. You really care about representing your Savior. That matters to you. And he said, he said, there's like a light bulb, a light bulb in my soul that exposes the darkness in me. And I'm glad, he said. What a difference. That's why John says this interesting sentence, whoever is born of God does not commit sin. Sin. You see, it starts to make sense. He goes on, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, what's the obvious question? Is John teaching perfection for Christians, that Christians never sin? Is that what he says here? in the text. Obviously not. He can't be saying that because back in chapter 1 verse 9, he says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. And in chapter 2, he's all upset about that group of people in the church who were claiming they didn't sin at all. They really upset him. So obviously he's not teaching Christian perfectionism. That's not possible. But what he is teaching is that it is our duty to confess our sins. It is our great joy to have our sins forgiven. And then you just can't keep on keeping on in your sin. He won't let you. Have you ever had that experience? What used to be a very natural sin pattern, habit pattern, suddenly is not so pleasant for you anymore. And you start to regret the way you're talking, the attitudes you've been having, the actions you've been doing. 
Here's what John is getting at here. If you're adopted into the family of God, he's going to teach you to put off the way of the devil because it just doesn't fit for you to be of the devil anymore and to clothe yourself in righteousness. And so, John says, be who you are in Christ. Be who you are. And we learn this from back in verse 6 where it says, no one who lives in Him, and that's the key phrase, no one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. As long as a person abides in Christ or remains in Christ. We've just had two sermons on remaining in Christ, being united to Him by faith. And so the best pastoral advice I could give you, if you come to my office, you knock on the door and say, Pastor, I've got to talk to you. I have this sinful habit in my life, and it hurts my family, and it messes me up at work, and I know that it dishonors the Lord. Pastor, tell me what to do. The worst thing I could do is to say, now you stop that. The second worst thing I could do is to say, try harder. Because there is no power in that. There is no power in the law. What John says is the best pastoral advice anyone could get is to live in Him. Be in Him. Remain in Him. Focus on Him. And the old Puritans used to say, for every one look at your sin, take ten looks at Christ and see Him in His beauty, in His holiness, in His compassion, in His sweetness, in His majesty, in His power. Keep looking at Christ, live in Christ, and then be who you are in Christ. That's the best pastoral advice. Become who you are, and, and you li- by living in Him, looking at Him, enjoying Him, worshiping Him, are you with me? That's the way of freedom and life. And then love your neighbor as yourself. So, the devil has been defeated. You know, never forget, he's a liar. He's a tempter, and he will ensnare you if he can. But the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the work of the devil. And so, you go to prayer with me now, and you say to the Lord, Lord, I am not my own but I belong to you in my body and in my soul, and I renounce my rebellion. And I invite you to cleanse me of my sin, and I ask you to shine your light into every corner of my heart and expose where I might be following the way of the devil. Reveal to me my sensualism. Expose to me my pride. Show me my unbelief. Lord, I know it lurks in the roots of my soul. Expose them. I welcome it. And make it like gravel between my teeth. Yes, Lord, make it like a mouthful of gravel. Every time I become aware of my gossip or my lust or my love of of the Word, make it like gravel between my teeth. And then, for every one look at my sin, oh, 
May I take ten looks at Christ and follow my Savior all the days of my life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you did for us what no man could do. Certainly Adam could not do, could not defeat the devil, but you came, the reason you came was to defeat the devil. And we praise you that so you have done. And now, Lord, we are in the mop-up operation, and we pray we pray that we will see your lies and we will be alert to your temptations and we will avoid your snares. And we, we will live in him and we will not walk in the way of the devil anymore. We invite you to shine your light, Lord. Shine it because it will be good for us. We believe that, that we would walk in the way that would give glory to God and will make us a blessing to each other and this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, let's rise and worship our King.